to make. First of all, the meeting announcements for this meeting I just scanned. I did not read in detail. So I conveniently skipped over the part, you know, that we're supposed to be casual in our dress. <laughs> in spite of the vehemence of my wife yesterday as we were packing our clothes, you don't need to take that, you don't need to take that. I'm standing, I'm preaching the word today. I'm, anyway, so that's the reason I'm in a suit and none of you are. Um, no, really, I thought I was just better than y'all. So. Uh, second thing I'd like to confess, when Brother Randall called me, I forget now exactly what, uh, what day this was to ask me to present I'm pretty sure we were headed to church for some, some event. I, I forget exactly what the details were. But he gave me the opportunity to think about it. He told me, you know, what the subject he, he wanted me to present. And then he gave me the opportunity to think about it for a few days and get back with him. And I said, oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you my answer now. I'll go ahead and, and agree to it. Well, I have been vexed ever since. I'm like, you know, you know, you um, you get to you get close to the day you're supposed to uh, to preach, and you don't have anything on your mind, so you start just like maybe trying to cherry pick some topics, and you uh, you think, oh well, I'll just preach on faith. You've heard this example, I'm sure, before, and then when you get to trying to prepare it gets like this. Instead of being really nice and concise, you know, it just balloons, you know, and uh, explodes, and you're like, I'm way over my head. Well, that's the way I feel, you know, today. So I do covet an interest in your prayers. The subject matter today is the importance of doctrine. And I'm going to maybe make that a little bit more specific, the importance of biblical doctrine. Now, we could... We could hone that down even more. We could say, you know, the importance of uh, the doctrines of grace. Uh, we could talk about um, uh, the the importance of the of the gospel. But I, I want to I'm going to try to make it just a little bit broad. But I think the principles that we'll share here today, Lord willing, um, will uh, will be true regardless to what aspect of doctrine we're talking about. Um, let me uh, preface what I'm going to say here today by saying this. I do not even think that anything I give you today is anything you don't already know. I'm kind of like Peter, though I don't think I'm as old as Peter was when he said this. Uh, but when he said in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, he, he, he had listed some things, you know, spoken some things just prior to this uh, that 
brought him to this point. But he said, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. And he goes on to say, Yeah, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. All right? So that's, that's all I'm doing here today. Okay, is I'm, I hope to be stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance. All right? Uh, a couple definitions. Doctrine. You say, well, I don't really need to define that, but I'm going to. All right? In a general sense, and this is from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Yes, I cite other dictionaries, Brother Gary. Um, <laughs> the first connotation is, in a general sense, whatever's taught. Okay, now that right there ought to maybe make us think of the urgency of this subject matter. Okay, whatever is taught. Okay, hence a principle or position in any science, whatever is laid down as true by an instructor or master. And then he says the doctrines of the gospel are the principles or truths taught by Christ and his apostles. This is why I like the Webster's Dictionary. The 1828 Dictionary. is He just, I mean, like he goes to Scripture, I mean, very often. Okay. All right, so uh, then he goes on. The doctrines of Plato are the principles which he taught. Hence, a doctrine may be true or false. It may be a mere tenet or opinion. And then the fourth connotation that he lists here is the truths of the gospel in general. The truths of the gospel in general. And then he gives this example that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Okay? The word important. Strongly affecting the course of events or the nature of things. Significant. Okay? Biblical doctrine, it affects the course of events or the nature of things. Biblical doctrine is significant. Okay? It's weighty. Okay? It's weighty. Okay, so the need for the subject. I go right back to the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Oh, yes. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Yes. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. There is a great need for this subject. A great need uh, to stress the importance of biblical doctrine. Okay, in the last several years, I've heard different ideas presented. Uh, in one case, it was presented by some of my, who are no longer church members, 
Uh, and then uh, a client that I was doing some work for here just a few weeks ago. We ha- I-, I had some church members. There were three teenagers who were sitting around after service talking, and they made this statement that it doesn't matter where you go to church as long as you go. Now, I'm preaching to the choir here. But I have, over my ministry, have tried my very best to emphasize the importance of biblical doctrine. Yes. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm standing here before you encouraging you that you should still do that. As I'm still trying to do that. In spite of the fact that even these three young ladies have heard me time and again talk about the importance of Bible doctrine. Alright? They left anyway. Alright? Why do they leave? Dolph, uh, excuse me, um, Doyle Hurst had a great answer to that question. They wanted to. Okay? They wanted to. And of course, now, Brother Doyle, he used that in the, in the context of why they didn't have a Sunday night service anymore. And he said, they don't want to. Okay? I mean, people do what they want to, right? Okay. That, you know, that's, that's a, you know, a very true statement. But when I say that back at home, people get mad at me. Now, why did they do that? I just don't understand. Okay, people do what they want to do. Nevertheless, it is doctrine is very important. I had another another church member. She's gone out to part of the church, and um, they had some years before they had moved from um, where they were, which was about a mile from the church house to another city which is about 40 minutes away. I thought then, they're not going to stay. They're not going to stay. Now some do. We've got some that have been faithful for 25 plus years that live even further away. But, these, but this, this lady and her husband, her husband's never been a member, but they, they left and things went well for a couple years and then eventually she started going to another church. And she said, I found a good group of people. They, you know, they, they teach what, you know, what, what we believe and all that sort of thing. And I told her in an email, they're not telling you true doctrine. I don't know anything about the church. I didn't go to the website and all that sort of thing. But I'm very confident that what they're preaching is not the truth. Okay? Now, is that important for her sake? Is it, well, it, apparently not too important. Right. However, I think, again, these, now this is my opinion, Brother Dickey. <laughs> I think that whenever you get off from the truth into error, that it will have an impact in your life. Yes. It will have an adverse impact oh, upon gosh. your life. Yes. Amen. Okay? Uh, and if that were not the case, there would not be so many warnings in Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, about false teachers, false prophets, you know, proving the things you hear. Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, 
Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Okay? Another doctrine that I had uh, heard recently, uh, this is from one of my clients. He's a, I use this term loosely. He's a good guy. You know, he's up in his uh, 70s and, and uh, I'm on a, a monthly rotation with him. And yes, there's, there's, there's 70 year olds that are good guys, okay? All right, but anyway, um, I, go, I go every. <laughs> so I, I go, I do work for him um, every, about every month or so. And uh, last month, I don't know why he said this. He knows I'm a pastor of a church, and maybe that's the reason he said it. But unsolicited, we weren't even talking about stuff like that. He just, out of the blue, he said, you know, I don't know what you think. That's how he prefaced what he he was about to say. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you believe. But I don't think it's necessary to go to church to go to heaven. If he stopped right there, I'd have said, Amen. But he didn't stop. I think if you just live right, we'll go to heaven. (laughs) Doctrine matters. Okay? As when he said that, I'm I'm like the grist mill. You know, it turns exceedingly slow. (laughs) And it takes me several days to process things to come. You know, to make some conclusions and what have you. But anyway, several days later, I was thinking about that. I mean, it really bothers me. It still bothers me. Of course, of course. Okay? I thought, well, okay, so you say, this is going on in my head, you say that all you have to do is live right to go to heaven. Well, who's the judge? That's right. Bingo. Well, I don't worry Who's, who's the judge? Who's going to say you're living right? How do you know you're doing right enough? Okay? Does God grade on a curve? You know what I mean? I mean, these are things that you know, came to mind. Well, friends, the answer to that question, or all those questions, are taught in the Bible. Okay? It's important to know biblical doctrine. If this gentleman understood biblical doctrine, he would have a different idea about church. Okay? There's a reason why we go to church. Well, let me say this. There are different reasons different people go to church. All right? But let me say, there's a right reason for going to church. Okay? There's a right reason. Okay. So, biblical doctrine. Biblical doctrine is God's doctrine. Amen. You say, well, duh. As my Arkansas friends say, duh. It's God's doctrine. You know, we... Uh, we read in the definition uh, a moment ago there in Webster where he cites there um, about adorning the doctrine of God, okay, in all things. God has a doctrine. That doctrine, and if you'll allow me, the Father, God, gave unto His Son, Jesus, to preach. 
John chapter 7, I think, about verse 17 or so. Anyway, my doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. Okay? So, the doctrine that Jesus taught when He was here is the doctrine that the Father gave to Him to preach. Okay? And I think the whole idea behind that is this is not some man-made concoction. This is divine doctrine. Okay? We, uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 6 about the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Okay? The doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of God. And by the way, he, in just uh, a few verses prior to uh, verse 1 there, uh, in chapter 5, he talks about the first principles. Okay? Uh, if there are first principles, there are other principles. Now, let it, I'd be remiss if I didn't make this point. The doctrine of Christ is a singular doctrine. Yes. The doctrine of God is a singular doctrine. Absolutely. Now, it has a, a variety of subtopics, if you will, or subdoctrines. Yes. Like we read in the Hebrew letter, chapter 6, about the doctrines of baptisms. Okay? So there's, there's sub-doctrines or, or principles, as he, he puts it also in, in, that, uh, in that text. But it's one doctrine. They all harmonize together. They fit together like a glove. They don't contradict one another. You're not going to find that in the doctrines of men. Okay? You're not going to find that you know, from the false prophets, you know, false teachers. You're not going to find that from any other source. The doctrine of God, while it has many principles, they all jihad together, if I could use that term. Y'all, I think y'all know what that means. All right, they mesh together. Now, the doctrine of Christ is an astonishing doctrine. Yes, it is. Amen. All right, when Jesus preached the doctrine that the Father gave him to preach, they were astonished. At his doctrine. Amen. Now, we might argue that that the astonishment was the in in the manner in which he taught it, and I and I wouldn't disagree with that. But I think the very doctrine itself is astonishing. I mean, think about it. When you're presenting the doctrines of grace, you got somebody who is who is there before you listening, and they are listening attentively. They're not trying to disagree with you. They're trying to learn. And they hear the doctrines of grace for the first time. Is it not astonishing to them that God would look down and in spite of your sin, in spite of your wretchedness, He would save you. That he, would, he would shed His blood for you at the cross of Calvary, wash away your sins, and promise you and take you home to glory to be with Him. Is that not an astonishing doctrine? It is. The same doctrine that Jesus taught is the same doctrine that the apostles taught. Alright? We read in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, which by the way, biblical doctrine... The Apostles' Doctrine, all right, is a characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, we'll get to that in just a moment. 
In, in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, <clears throat> and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Yes. All right? It's a characteristic of the early infant church. If we are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have this characteristic. That's right. That's right. Okay? Exactly. If we do not have this characteristic, we cannot claim to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right? <coughs> in Matthew chapter 28, you remember when the Lord sent His apostles out? He says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Notice what He tells them. Go and teach them what I've taught you. All right? So what they're teaching, their doctrine is the doctrine of Christ, which is the doctrine of God. Amen. Okay? Then, <clears throat> we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All right? That word profitable means it's advantageous. It's useful. Okay? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, <clears throat> so I think we've got to establish Bible doctrine is the doctrine of God. It's the doctrine of the apostles. It's the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I came across this verse um, a few days ago in my, in my studies you remember when the apostles Peter uh, and John, they were brought before the Sanhedrin Council a second time. They were ordered by the Sanhedrin Council, don't teach in this name anymore. You're bringing this man's blood upon us. Well, you did crucify him, you know. All right, so anyway. In... So they're, they're brought the second time. They tell them, don't preach any longer in this name. You know the story. So they come back to the church. They tell the church what happens. The church, they have a, an instantaneous prayer meeting. Yes. Would to God that more of us today, more of our churches, just broke out in a prayer meeting. You know? And the effect was... In fact, I, I think it's interesting... They didn't pray necessarily save us from them. They pray, Lord, give us boldness to continue preaching in this name. All right? And then what happens? The place is shaken. All right? And they're filled with the Holy Ghost again. Okay? So then they... The, the, the apostles, they go right back to business as usual. They're, they're preaching in the temple where they're told not to do that. And when they learn that they're out there stirring things up again by preaching doctrine. By the way, biblical doctrine will stir up some stuff. Okay? There's an element out there in the what is called Christianity. It's not. Okay? It's not Christianity. True Christianity teaches Christ's doctrine. All right, but there is an element out there who say, you know, we can't preach doctrine. We're not going to preach doctrine because doctrine divides. You better bet your socks it does. It 
it divides. The Lord's people need Bible doctrine. The goats hate Bible doctrine. Right? To one, it's a savor of life unto life. To the other, it's a savor of death unto death. All right? I'm called to preach Bible doctrine to God's people. Allow me to digress just a moment. Maybe this is not digressing. I love that passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 2. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. He says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh... Listen, this is, he's giving thanks to God. And, he's, and this is what God is doing, says Paul. God is making manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. To some people, the savor is a savor of death. To others, it's a savor of life. But you'll notice that Paul rejoices and he thanks God that God's making manifest the savor of this knowledge. Whether it's a savor of death or a savor of life. He still rejoices that God, through him, is making manifest the savor of this knowledge. We shouldn't apologize for the Bible doctrine. We shouldn't apologize for the doctrine of Christ. Okay? We shouldn't apologize for the Word of God. We shouldn't apologize for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Alright? But, again, back to Acts chapter 5. They are brought back to the Sanhedrin Council a second time. And they want to kill them. But by, by God's kind providence, interposing Himself in the affairs of men. Don't you believe in a providential God? Absolutely. God didn't just wind this thing up and just set it in motion and say, I'll see you, you know, in the resurrection. God is very much involved in the affairs of men today. Alright? They bring Him back. They point the finger. Kiddo Gamaliel stands up and says, Hey, you better think twice about what you're doing here. Yeah, if this is, you know, if what they're doing is to be of men, it'll come to nothing. But if it's of God, you're going to be fighting against God. You don't want to do that. You know, and they listen to Gamaliel to a point. They at least don't kill the apostles. But they beat the tar out of them, as we used to say back home. Okay? And so then after they're done with them and they charge them straightly, don't preach in this name anymore. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, we'll see how that works out for you. They go back in, in verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And listen, and daily, were they discouraged from preaching the gospel? Were they discouraged from preaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ? And they daily... In the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. The apostles thought that the doctrine of Christ was pretty important. Yes. The powers, at, you know, to me, 
said, don't preach the doctrine of Christ. Christ told them, preach my doctrine. Amen. And they said, you know what? It's better to obey God than men. And so they preach and continue to preach. All right, so we're preaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ. We're teaching and preaching Jesus Christ as, as Luke uh, tells us here in verse 42. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. We read, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, there is a plethora. You ever see the three amigos? That guy, you know, he, said, he says plethora. I forget what, hey, you know, I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, how about plethora? What's a plethora of doctrines out there in the world? All right? Plural. Plethora. There are lots of different doctrines. In fact, in, in Scripture, we read these phrases. There are, there are diverse and strange doctrines. There are doctrines of men, doctrines of devils, doctrine of Pharisees and Sadducees. There's the doctrine of Balaam. And forgive me if this doesn't ring true with the way you pronounce this name, but this is the way it's pronounced in my Bible. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans, okay? I know, that's a mouthful. <laughs> the doctrine of Jezebel. There's a doctrine of vanities. Speaking of idolatry. Okay, the stock is a doctrine of vanities. We read in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 8. All right, so there are a plethora of doctrines out there. And these doctrines out there, they appeal to people. They appeal. The idea that doctrine divides is a doctrine. We're not going to teach doctrine in our church is a doctrine. Right? It's a doctrine. It's a teaching of man. The Lord knows this, obviously, that there's all these different teachings of men out here in the world. And He inspires Paul to write to Timothy. And thus, for our benefit today, to teach no other doctrine. Okay? There are, as we said earlier, there are adverse effects to teaching false doctrine. And, you know, when you read like in 2 Peter chapter 2, where Peter there, he tells them that there will be false teachers among you even as, as there were, you know, false prophets among the, you know, the Old Testament saints. You know, he would tell them that they would bring in damnable heresies. They would make merchandise of you. See, there are adverse effects to false doctrine. You know, you remember, was it Jim Baker, I believe it was? 
Yep. You know, when he had that uh, that group of people, they all drank the poison Kool-Aid. Jim Jones. Jim Jones, thank you. Not Jim Baker. Jim Jim Jones. I knew that you sound right. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. But see, you know, false doctrine has adverse effects upon the Lord's people. There's a purpose for preaching Bible doctrine. Okay? There is a purpose. Now, what was the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ about doctrine? I, I just cherry-picked a couple out of Scripture. We read in Revelation chapter 2, in verse 13, I'll, I'll, be just, I'll pick up there. He says, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But, now, Brother Gary, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but that but is an adversarial conjunction. And whenever you see that word there, it negates everything that went before it. Now, you've got all this going for you, but it don't matter. There's something else going on here that I'm not really happy about. Okay, what is the bottom line? Notice he says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Okay? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Boy, that's hard to frame. Which thing I hate. That's strong words. You know, when, when we say that, People look at us, look, look at us, you know, with raised eyebrows. Say, you really ought not to be saying that. But this Jesus said, Amen. "He who can do no wrong, he who is all righteousness, who is holy, 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 who is pure, who is light, and in him is no darkness at all." He says, "I hate this stuff." Okay. Strong words. It ought to make us pay attention. Amen? It ought to make the Lord's people pay attention. Repent. Jesus, is doctrine important? If it wasn't really important, if false doctrine is no big deal, then there should be no call to repent of false doctrine. Right? But Jesus says repent. Or else... My daddy used to say when, when I was growing up, he'd talk about mom, about her wanting him to do something. And it might be like, uh, I want you to build my flower box. And he would be telling somebody else about what she said. She said, build this flower box or else. And frankly, I didn't like the way she said or else. So hence, I'm here building the flower box. <laughs> Jesus says, repent or else. Okay? You, again, is doctrine important? Jesus says it's very important. Okay? 
or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I don't know about you, but that kind of shivers me timbers. Okay? That's got my attention. It's very important for us to teach Bible doctrine. In fact, if you think about this, now there are those who are holding to His faith. But then they were suffering others in their midst to preach something else. Okay? And He's taking these people to task for it. That puts a big burden upon us ministers in the churches in which we pastor. We've got to know the estate of our flocks. And and when I say that, I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek because I don't do very well. But we must be diligent to know the estate of our flocks. I was having a conversation with um, Elder Ronald Lawrence some time ago. It's been several years ago. We had this family in our church that quite frankly didn't believe the doctrines. They had joined another PB church. They had moved to our area. They moved their letters over to the church. And and talking with them, you know, after a while you begin to realize you don't believe the doctrines of grace. You don't believe the things that we hold dear. The things that we believe to be... And I really am starting to have a little bit of heartburn using this term in this context. Essential doctrines. Mm -hmm. Because if it's Bible doctrine, it's all essential, don't you think? All right? So you see my dilemma there. But this, I was talking with him about this family, about what we, you know, what I, you know, I in the church should do, you know, and all this sort of thing. And, and, um, and, and this particular case, they weren't trying to sway the church in their way of thinking. But he made this statement, and I thought, you know, that's interesting. You know, we don't turn people away from, uh, for not knowing the doctrine. We don't turn them out for not knowing the doctrine. All right? And quite frankly, you know, when I began to start quizzing our folks... I don't know if it's. I don't know if you've ever done this at your at, at your churches, but Wednesday night, sometimes we have what we call the stump the chump, okay? Which the the you know the members of the church get the opportunity to ask the preacher questions, okay? Well, sometimes they don't have any questions, and so it's my turn. Yeah, there you go. And I'll ask them. That's right. That's exactly what it does, brother. I'll ask them, okay, tell me, first of all, what did I preach about Sunday? I mean, easy question, right? Easy question. Well, this is what you preach. No. There's many of them don't even know what part of the Bible I was in. Or sometimes what I get is the illustration I used, but not the lesson from it. That just frustrates me to no end. Okay? 
Like, you remember the illustration, but what was the point? Why was I using that? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I say all of that. I say I like to say this. That, <clears throat> you know, the Lord's people... Don't pay attention. Right? They don't pay attention. And to drive the nail just a little bit deeper, we don't read. It rejoiced my heart to hear Brother Randall talk about, you know, he's, you know, at least once a year he comes across that passage of Scripture. And we all ought to be reading, you know, the, the scripture. Because you know, the, the Bereans, they they I mean, they're ready for truth. They're eager for truth, but they ain't just gonna swallow anything that comes along the pike there. Where uh, they hear these things spoken by Paul and Silas and went, man, that sounds great. That's astonishing. Well, let's see if it's true. Yes. And they check it out. And then they do what Paul instructs the Thessalonians. They hold fast those things. Okay. I think we've got the, the general idea here that doctrine is important. Let, let, me, let me share this next one here. Galatians. What does Paul say about the gospel? What does Paul say about the doctrine? Okay, he says this. In verse 6, I marvel. Now, the gospel is astonishing. But Paul now, he's astonished for a different reason. Okay? I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another. But there be some that trouble you. You see, false doctrine troubles. When I hear people talk, you know, say something about something that I know is not true, when they when they bring out a principle and they say it's taught by Bible, by the Bible, but then when they present it, I know it doesn't, it's not presented in the Bible. The way they present it anyway. When those things get circulated, not only is it an uncertain sound, but if people heed that, it troubles them. Now, I don't mean to pick on anybody today, but I believe this. All right, therefore I speak. Paul talks about that. Therefore, you know, I, I believe, therefore I speak. There are people who teach that somebody who commits suicide is going to hell. And the reason they're going to hell is because they don't have an opportunity to repent. In other words... Repentance is a prerequisite. Thank you. 
it is essential to salvation. You have to repent. I remember many years ago, I was staying with uh, Brother Jeff Winfrey's parents. I was filling in for Brother Travis Housley when he was the pastor at Dawson Springs Church. And he, he and his wife shared with me their background. When they moved to Dawson Springs, they were, forgive me for naming names, but they were uh, Methodist. And they believed that if they did not confess and beg forgiveness for any sins they had committed in that day, and they went to bed and went to sleep and died in their sleep, they would go to hell. That is a very troublesome doctrine. Okay? Very troublesome doctrine. So they're in bondage. They are they're in fear. They are there's no peace. There's the anxieties, all that sort of thing, because they don't know the truth. And then they met a primitive Baptist who very patiently, over a span of six months, he said, they'd meet together on Thursday nights and they'd play their card game. I think it was Bridge, I believe is the name of it. I've, I've never played it. But anyway, he'd bring his little black book. He'd have a scripture written in that black book. He'd open the black book, have them read that scripture, and say, what do you think about that? And they would go and play their card game. Every Thursday, there was a scripture. What do you think about that? If you've ever been to Dawson, well, I don't know if it's there like this now, but the last time I was there, that little black book is in a little case, a glass case. Wow. They're at the church. All right? But they began to see that the scripture was teaching something different than what they believed. And when they saw the truth of it, they had peace. All right? All right, so back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen to these next words. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Notice he puts himself in that lot. I or an angel or anyone else preach anything other than the doctrine of Christ let him be accursed. He hasn't got the point across yet. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Strong terms. You say, Brother Shannon, what does that mean, be accursed? I don't know, but I'm scared of it. Right? (laughs) Then listen to this. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? 
For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Friends, biblical doctrine is important because if I don't preach biblical doctrine, I cease to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I cease to please Him and I'm preaching to please man. Okay? Doctrine is pretty important. (coughs) In Jude, we read this. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. The faith. Alright? It's that body of doctrine which was once delivered unto the saints. Would you allow me to say this? It's not still being delivered. It's already. Brother Dolph, he made this observation some years ago about the Bible, about Scripture in general. He mentioned how that in Deuteronomy, near the beginning of the book, then in Proverbs chapter 30, near the middle of the book, And then at the end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, there are stern warnings to adding or taking away from the Word of God. You can't miss it unless you're trying to. Okay? This has been delivered unto the saints. It's been delivered once and for all. And this faith that has been delivered to the saints we are to earnestly contend for. We are to dig in, and despite what the world says today, despite what leadership in our country says, despite what the naysayers say, we must preach doctrine. Biblical doctrine. We must preach the Word of God. Okay? We must contend for it. We must defend it. He goes on to say, For there are certain men crept in unawares. This is in Jude's time. You think it's still going on today? For there are certain men crept in unawares who who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What is one of the most common statements made about the doctrine of grace. That it is a licentious doctrine. Isn't it? I mean, don't you get that? Well, if I, I was talking to one of the guys I used to work with at Ace Hardware, and we were talking about what we believe. He said, you know, well, if, if I believe that, then I would just go out there and just live any way I wanted to. And I was kind of like Sonny Piles. You know, I've already done that. And I don't want to do it anymore. I want to live the way He wants me to live. You know what I mean? But He reveals something about why He did what He did. He didn't do it because He loved the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. Okay? Understand, please. 
He wasn't doing that because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He, does, he wasn't doing that because he loved the Lord his God. He did that because he loved himself. He was serving because he loved himself. So you see, right doctrine gives you the right motive for service. It's important. Okay? So, but there are those who would say that this doctrine, uh, it just tends to licentiousness. You know, if I just believe that, I just go out there and live any way I, I wanted, uh, wanted to. I remember uh, we used to have ministers' meetings there in, uh, in the Nashville area uh, some years ago, and this brother was telling me that, or telling the group, he said that you know, he was explaining the doctrines of grace and how that it's, a, it's sovereign grace, that salvation is all of sovereign grace. And they understood what he was saying to a point, and they, with their beers in hand, they said, well, that means I can have me another case of beer. I, man, that's, that's good news here. I, now I can feel good about what I'm doing. Because it's all of grace. That's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, isn't it? Okay? All right. I don't know what time it is, brother. What time is it? Am I over time? Okay, I got some time. He said I could go till 12, so we're good. Oh, wait, no, that wasn't true. In Mark, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 16, Paul, he's writing to the saints at Rome. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. If you're preaching false doctrine and living according to that doctrine, Forgive me if I don't pal around with you. Paul thought it very important that those in the church preach and live biblical doctrine. He says, if you've got those among you who don't, avoid them. I started to say something, but I think I'll hold on to that one. <laughs> For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. It's amazing to me how easily the Lord's people can be deceived. I mean... False teachers, many false teachers out there, that Jim Jones guy was very charismatic, very influential. Very cunning, that's right. Yes. All right. And deceived a boatload of people, and they all perished. Okay? Now, did they all go to hell? I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, no, they didn't all go to hell. Maybe some did, but they went to heaven for the same reason you and I do. Right? And anybody else for that matter. Okay. Let me hasten on. Doctrine matters. It matters to the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, we, we, or verse 16, Paul tells Timothy that the, that the church... 
all right, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, if I understand what he's talking about here, it's kind of like a signpost. The way I've illustrated it back home is, you know, I'm driving down the interstate and I and I see all these huge billboards out there on the interstate, and they're advertising something. They want you to buy this thing that we're you know we're selling. Well, that big billboard, okay, that's broadcasting this whatever this is, is held up by some big post or a couple of posts, 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 posts. Okay, there's a pillar. Holding that up. The church is that pillar. We are to be holding forth the truth of God's grace. We're not to set it under a bushel basket. We're not supposed to be hiding it. We're not supposed to be keeping it to ourselves. We are to be broadcasting it loud and clear. Right? That's, that's the church. So truth matters to the church. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Michael Goins, in his book, Basic Bible Doctrines, he writes this. He says, Without the true gospel, that is the truth that Jesus Christ is God incarnate who finished the work of redemption, a church is not a church. You can't be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not upholding the truth of grace. There are lots of churches in the world today. But I'm going to stick my neck out and say they're not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for this reason. Okay? They're not upholding the truth of God. This is a general statement. Biblical doctrine is salvific. Brother Darrell, you can, you can tell Sister Donna there that I know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Biblical doctrine is salvific. Okay, what does that mean? It means Bible doctrine saves. Okay? Bible doctrine saves. Now, I think everybody here today understands what it can't save from and to, right? But to say it doesn't save is not true. Is not Bible doctrine. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, you're, you're are aware of this. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Oh, yes. They believe, and through the foolishness of preaching, God saves them. Again, not through preaching does He give them eternal life. But it's through preaching they learn they have eternal life. Alright? For another reason. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Right? Okay. James chapter 1 and verse 21, he, he says this, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Which, by the way, when he says superfluity of naughtiness, he's not saying there that some naughtiness is okay. Alright? Just don't go overboard with it. He's not saying that. I think he's saying that any naughtiness is, is superfluous. Okay? But anyway... Wait, wait, lay aside all this 
And listen, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. No question. Does Bible doctrine save? Yes. Absolutely. You see the, the, the importance of Bible doctrine. All right? I'm pretty sure it's Brother Dickey that's going to... Um, in fact, I'm, let, me, let me just... Let me wrap this up. There are several other points here that we can say. Bible doctrine liberates. Galatians, you know, chapter 5, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, you know, and so forth. Um, see, Bible doctrine, let me think about all these points here that I had written here. It liberates. It determines the motive for discipleship, which we've talked a little bit about already. Um, it nourishes. Bible doctrine transforms. You know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, it transforms. Um, oh, I really need to say this. Biblical doctrine informs to proper worship. We said, you know, that we have our reasons for going to church. I trust that your reason to go to church today is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ for what He's done. What He's doing, what He's going to do. Okay? Not to go to heaven. Amen? Okay. He said in 15 of Matthew, verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy ye, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Again, I ask you, is Bible doctrine important? You can't worship God acceptably with false doctrine, with the commandments of men. You've got to worship Him with the commandments of God, with, with God's Word, with God's truth. Alright. Our attitude toward Bible doctrine ought to be like... Well, let's, let, me, let me turn here. This is Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Is that the way you look at Bible doctrine today? Is that the way you look at the doctrine of Jesus Christ? Do you look at it as good doctrine? Incidentally, if there's a good doctrine, there's an evil doctrine. Okay? For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. And she goes on. Bible doctrine is good doctrine. Bible doctrine will deliver you. Bible doctrine will preserve you. Okay? There's a preserving influence with Bible doctrine. Absolutely. Yes. 
All right, let me, let me conclude with this, this text. Well, maybe a couple more. I got time. Okay. So Paul is before King Agrippa. He's making a defense um, for himself. And he relates to Agrippa his experience on the Damascus Road and relates to him what the Lord had commissioned him to do. And he says in verse 15, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. Now listen to this. To open their eyes. Oh, yes. And to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Me. Now I'll ask you just one very simple question. How did Paul do that? How did he turn them from the power of Satan unto God? How did he turn them from darkness to light? How did he enable them to receive the forgiveness of sins? He isn't the Pope. He isn't Jesus Christ. He isn't God. You understand? So how does He do this? How does He enable them to receive inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in Jesus Christ? How does He do that? By doctrine. Bible doctrine. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when you think about inheritance, I, I think about uh, the, the text there in Ephesians chapter 1 where he, he says to the brethren there, he says that after they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, all right, they trusted in Christ. And what happened? They received the earnest of the inheritance, the Holy Spirit of promise. Yes which sealed them. Okay? So he says it's an earnest of the inheritance. They heard the Gospel. They heard the doctrine of Christ. They trusted. They believed. And they were sealed. They received the Holy Spirit of promise, which is telling them, hey bud, you're one of mine. That's exactly right. Exactly. I bought and paid for you. Yes, yes, yes. You're going home to glory to be with me forever one day. Amen. Eternal life is yours. Listen, this is precious to me. John Gill writes this in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, he, he, he makes the comment where John says, 
behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Okay? Commenting on that text, he makes this, he makes this point. He says it's one thing to make a criminal or to, to pardon a criminal, to forgive him of his sins, to forgive him of his crimes, and let him go free. But it is altogether another thing to take that same criminal and bring him into your family. And friends, that's what He did for us. The Gospel of our salvation informs us that that's exactly what God did through Jesus Christ. He brought vile, wretched criminals into His family and has made them heirs. Has made them heirs. Hey! I was busy with Brother Buddy Abernathy this weekend. He was preaching a meeting for us. He was talking about going to... Was that him or was that somebody else? No, that was somebody else. Who was that? Somebody yesterday was telling me. I forget now. Oh, it was Brother Dan. That's who it was. Brother Dan Hall was telling me this. He'd been gone to a meeting out there in, uh, in Kentucky. And, uh, and the preacher was up there preaching. And then all of a sudden, a sister stood up behind them and just yelled this great yell. Of course, that scared them, you know. What's going on here? Friends, there's some things we ought to be excited about. Amen. Gospel truth is something to be excited about. Amen. Okay? One more thing. Just one more. I said maybe a couple. So, anyway, the prodigal son comes back. Poor, weak, and worthless. He's feeling it. Yes, he, is. he ain't making lip service. He feels it to the marrow of his bones. Yes, right? He knows my father's at home. He's my father. He doesn't deny that. I'm his son, but I'm not worthy to be called his son. I'll just go seek a servant's place. So he goes home. If I could just find, if I could just be in a servant's place, I'd be way better off than where I'm at right now. Okay? When he comes back home, he's still far off. His father's been watching for him waiting on him. He's got things ready for his return, by the way, I think. Alright? He sees him coming. He runs out to meet him. And it's a great reunion. And the boy, he starts relating to his father what he intended to relate to him. But before he can say, put me in one of the servants' places... It's the text there says, but the Father said. <laughs> Alright? Now listen. But the Father said to His servants, cut Him off. Sometimes we need to be interrupted. <laughs> right? But the Father said to His servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on Him. And put a ring on His hand and shoes on His feet 
and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. That's some good times right there. Now listen. He said to his servants, the father said to his servants, are you listening? Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Are you listening? And put a ring on his hand. You know what that ring is all about, right? And shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and let's have a party. The servants are you and me. And we have a robe to put on the Lord's people. And we have a ring to put on their finger. And we have shoes to put on their feet. Amen. And we have a fatted calf to slay before them and to make merry. May the Lord add His blessing. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 our familiar scriptures where he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ nor of me. And then he goes on to tell us how we're saved by His grace and not by works. And that then the Gospel to bring life and immortality to what? Light. Through the Gospel. I think we've been in, in light. Enlightened? Again? Let's not be ashamed. Of the gospel. Amen.